As we continue through our Lenten series, today's scripture comes from the Gospel of Mark, which was the first of the Gospels written and one of the original source materials for the writers of the Gospels of Matthew and Luke as they shared their version of Jesus' life and ministry. And as we've mentioned before, Mark jumps right into it. There is no birth story. There is no long list of genealogy, but rather right into the action. And today's story comes after Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist, and he calls the disciples Simon, Andrew, James, and John, all of whom immediately dropped their fishing nets and followed him. Quick, quick actions in Jesus' ministry is off and running in Galilee, announcing the good news, saying, now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. There are more than just these four fishermen following him, though. The first place it says they go is Capernaum, which is on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus found these familiar fishermen who decided to become fishers of men instead. And in Mark, today's story is the first time his followers really get to witness the power of Jesus. And his followers aren't the only ones that get to witness it. Here are these stories, this story. Today's reading is from Mark 1, 21 through 34. Here begins the reading. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching? With authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left, and she began to serve him. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. The message of God for the people of God. Thank you. 
It's such a blessing to be with you here this morning and share this word. Now, if you read Russ's weekly e-note, you already know this, but when he asked me to step into the pulpit today, I agreed, and I, of course, went to confirm which Scripture I'd be preaching on. And after reading it, I sent him a message immediately that said, Demons? Really? Demons? My first Sunday in the pulpit, and you've got me preaching on demon possession. I was joking, of course, kind of. (laughs) But these types of stories are actually some of my favorite ones of Jesus, These, these healing stories. These types of interruptions that are so common in His ministry, interruptions that reveal who Jesus is and ultimately who we should be, who we are called to be. It's obviously much deeper than the word demon or even the the concept of demons, and I'm not planning on getting too deeply into the complications of supernatural forces or the mental and physical ailments that afflicted so many people in the first century that were just easily referred to as demons, attributed to evil spirits. There was no modern psychology or medicine then. So who knows what was really going on with these people, with this man in this story, what was really going on in his mind, in his life. Could, could so many of these stories possibly have been metaphors for mental illness by a man who shared most of his ministry in parables and metaphors? Perhaps. Or was this man and others truly possessed by an evil spirit or a demon? Perhaps. But the point isn't what specifically what was afflicting this man or any of the people in these stories, but rather what Jesus did and how He reacted. These two stories we heard this morning uh, were the first of a succession of stories of Jesus healing people all across the spectrum with a whole host of problems, sickness, blindness, evil spirits, ostracized and kicked out due to their appearance, their ailments, their background. And a large majority of these healings came in the midst of an interruption, interruption of Jesus' preaching, teaching, and ministry. Now, many of us are annoyed by interruptions in our own life. Some of us get downright mad when they happen. Someone interrupts you when you're, when you're talking or you're telling a story, or you've spent all this time making a plan, the way things are supposed to go, and something interrupts those plans, throwing them completely off what you had so carefully planned. 
How often do interruptions cause us to get angry? And more importantly, what do we miss when we're so laser-focused on what our destination is, what we think we have to say, where we think we have to be, what we think we have to do? When my youngest son was little, he would interrupt our conversations all the time. We could count on it. You see, little kids haven't been taught the, the social norms and the, the flow of conversation and what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. And if I'm being honest, it would sometimes annoy me. But my wife and I tried our best to actually embrace those moments because we knew deep down that someday there would come a time when he didn't want to talk to us anymore. And he is 14, and that time has arrived. <laughs> and I miss those interruptions. I miss those little voices. And, and, and looking back, it makes me, makes me savor and enjoy the conversations that I do get to enjoy with him now that he's older. Jesus used interruptions all the time as opportunities for ministry. This is the first miracle that we read about in Mark, and it is the result of an interruption. Jesus is, is preaching when it tells us a demon-possessed man stands up and starts screaming. It's more eloquent in some of the other variations in the other Gospels of how it does, and he starts screaming, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus says, silence, come out of him. And he cast the demon out. Then he continues on to, to, to do more healing. But after both of these, listen to what happened, and this is the one thing that kind of stays consistent through these stories. It says, the people were amazed. That word is used a lot. Amazed. And they said to each other, what is this teaching? With authority and power, He gives orders to evil spirits, and they come out. And the news of Him spread throughout the surrounding area. Word started to spread. In Luke, Jesus is again teaching, and He is interrupted when a group of friends bring their friend who is paralyzed, and they can't get into the house, so they, they cut a hole in the ceiling, in the roof, and they, they lower Him down through the hole to be healed, and Jesus uses this interruption as an opportunity to reveal His power to forgive sins, and again, the people were amazed and word began to spread. Later, Jesus is enjoying a dinner party at a very wealthy and influential religious leader when a sinful woman comes along and starts pouring expensive oil on him and wiping it off with her hair, and he uses this interruption as an opportunity to demonstrate the gift of grace and acceptance. Later, Jesus is teaching again. When a fellow in the audience stands up, a very learned man, and decides he wants to test Jesus to see if he really is all that he has heard that he is, and he asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus says, well, what do you think? And they both agree that obviously the answer is to love God and love your neighbor. But this guy's not done interrupting. He continues, but who is my neighbor? And that interruption allows Jesus to share one of the most powerful parables he shared of the good Samaritan. Just a few chapters later, after the story we heard today in Mark, Jesus is again teaching a large crowd, and a man named Jairus comes to interrupt. See, Jairus is a very powerful man in the community. He's got a lot of power. He's got a lot of wealth. He's a big shot religiously, financially, and socially. But he's got a little girl at home that's sick and dying. And that word that had spread, it had gotten to him. And he knew that if he could just get Jesus to come with him to his house, then Jesus would heal his little girl. And so he interrupts the teaching, the humility it must have taken to stand up amidst all of those people and ask for help. But Jesus does what Jesus does. It doesn't matter to him who it is, how much power they have, what kind of influence they have. All he knows is that there is someone in need who sincerely and earnestly needs his help. So he immediately stops what he's doing and begins following Jairus to his home, interrupting his own teaching. And then in the midst of that interruption, another one comes. Out of nowhere comes a woman, a woman who had been sick for years and years, the bleeding woman who at one point had status, at one point had wealth, at one point had connections and friends in a community, but because of her illness, she had lost all of her money trying to find a cure, and she had been kicked out of her place of worship because she was unclean. She'd been kicked to the outskirts of her society, of her family, of her community because she was no longer worthy to be a part of this, but she somehow also had heard of this great man, and her faith was so great that she knew that if she could just get close enough to Jesus to touch the edge of His robe, not even Him, just touch the Him, then it'd all be okay that she would be healed. And so she crawls through the crowd on her hands and knees in the dirt, and she gets close enough, and she does touch that hem, hoping to get away with it without anyone noticing. But Jesus stops immediately, allows this interruption to come, and says, whoa, who just touched me? And his disciples looked at him, as I imagine they looked at him quite often, and what, like, what, have you lost your mind? Have you seen the size of this crowd? You want us to tell you who touched you? They're all touching you. But he says, no, 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 and he stops. And this being one of my favorite stories in all of the Gospels, I have it playing in my head where he looks down and he sees this woman who is ashamed so at the end of her rope has lost everything, and she's still face down in the dirt. He gets down in the dirt with her. And in my mind, he reaches down and puts his finger underneath her chin and lifts her eyes to his. 
and he says the most beautiful word that she has heard in her entire life. He looks at her and says, daughter. A word that she had not heard. A concept that she had forgotten how to even dream about. He saw her. He loved her. He welcomed her into his family. He claimed her as his own. And yes, she was healed of that physical ailment, but more importantly, her broken spirit was healed. Her sense of worth was healed. She became whole again with one word in that holy interruption. And by the time this was all over, Jesus continues on to Jairus' house where that poor little girl has died. Nothing to Jesus. He tells her to come alive, and she does. In that instance with that woman, he stopped what he was doing because right there and right then, she was the most important thing in the world to him. That healing is much deeper and, and it's so important and how beautiful it is to understand how Jesus operated. Because to him, it didn't matter what demons were possessing people, whether they were actual demons or the demons of mental illness or sickness or the demons that were forcibly imposed on them by the people that were supposed to love them the most. Jesus saw them, truly saw them, and met them where they were. It was a, a radical new way of doing things then, and I'd argue that it's still a pretty radical way of doing things. But each of God's creations, each one of us and each one of them, is also the most important thing in the world to Jesus. These healings, these interruptions, these miracles were Jesus' way of throwing out the evil spirits of the society at the time, the evil spirits of the creation of a definitive line of, of who was in and who was out. And the church was the biggest offender of this, with a long list of rules that determined who was worthy of worshiping God and being part of society and who was to be kicked to the curb and forgotten. And as much as things change, things still remain the same. It seems like today that we have still forgotten what it means to see each other, to really see each other. We spend too much time as a society focused on who we don't like, who we feel doesn't belong in our club, who we feel are not worthy of our time, our compassion. But Jesus brought a new way because He saw those that were unseen, healed those that were determined as unworthy, found those who were lost. And we are to do the same. Watching our youth lead us in worship a few weeks ago on Youth Sunday or any time that I am privileged enough to, to work side by side in ministry with the youngest among us is a reminder that they still know something that many of us grown-ups have forgotten or at the risk of forgetting. They know that each person can sometimes be the only glimpse of Christ that some folks have ever seen in their life. 
We are created by a loving God, and we all have that little divine spark in us that needs to be shown to the world. By not hiding that light but embracing it, we too can show the compassion and grace that Jesus showed and that is in each of us. As we've seen, often Jesus' compassion was the most visible in the little interruptions in His life and ministry. We should use His example to embrace and celebrate the holy interruptions in our own lives as opportunities to show compassion and grace. The presence of Christ in all aspects of our life is what sustains us, and we can be, we are actually called to be the presence of Christ today more than ever. Who in our own lives, in our own city, our own country, our own society, even our own families have we cast out, forgotten about? Because if Jesus hasn't, then neither should we. Now, I consider myself to be a pretty well-read person, so I'm going to quote one of my favorite authors to close. In Dr. Seuss's book, Horton Hears a Who, we hear this mantra, a person's a person, no matter how small. Let us remember that wisdom from our childhoods and the healing that can take place by seeing each other and allowing ourselves to be seen. It's important not to get so caught up that we miss those holy interruptions that come into our lives and allow us to show the compassion that Jesus showed and that we must show as followers of Christ. Who knows what we might be missing? My prayer is, is that we all keep an eye out for those holy interruptions that God sends our way, because each of them has the potential of us seeing that spark of Christ, but also being that spark of Christ, of healing our world, even if it's just a little bit. Amen.